I came of age, as it were, during the era of the Vietnam War. I remember when it ended, and the thought of peace was such a glorious thing. Remember that Christmas carol that John Lennon wrote and recorded back during the height of the Vietnam War? War is over if you want it, he said. The song speaks of a hope, of a world that is free from strife and violence and war. At Christmas time, there's this line that always gets pulled out about Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. That all sounds well and good until you look at the world around us. It seems that division and strife and violence are winning out over peace. So where is the Prince of Peace? Welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. I don't know if there's been a time in my lifetime that has been less peaceful. There's lots of war going on in our world this Christmas. I just read an article today about tens of thousands of people fleeing Ethiopia because of the war there, and about one-third of those are children that are traveling alone. It is absolutely tragic. I think I'm going to have to do a podcast on the obsession we have with violence in our world, but let's leave that for another time. Today, I want to talk just about the division and strife between the people all around us. It seems we have never been as divided as we are now. We're divided over whether masks help us stay safe or not. We're divided over whether we should take the vaccine when it comes out. We're divided over whether our kids should be in school. We're divided about whether we should be allowed to attend church in person or not. Without a doubt, 2020 has been a year of division, a year of separation. It has been a year without much peace. At the time that Jesus was born, the Jewish people were looking for peace. They were being oppressed by the Roman Empire. They were being taxed to death. They believed that peace would come when the Messiah came and established a new kingdom, a kingdom that would rise up against their oppressors, a kingdom that would usher in peace and prosperity for the Jewish people. Because at that time of Jesus, and actually since the beginning of recorded history, People believe that peace came through an empire. If your king was the most powerful king, then you experienced peace. If you had enough power, you could force the disarmament of the nations around you. It's how David and Solomon maintained peace in the kingdom. They controlled the power. At the time of Jesus, the Romans talked about peace all the time. They were bringing, they said, peace to the world. But they did it through power, through domination. In fact, the Romans were one of the most brutal empires in the history of the world. So, of course, the disciples and the people that followed Jesus expected this kingdom, 
that Jesus spoke of so often to bring peace through domination, through the overthrow of the Roman Empire. That's what everybody thought. Peace would come when the Messiah came with a bigger sword than Rome had, and Rome would have to bow to this new kingdom. In fact, we still believe that. We Americans believe that peace comes through power. As long as the military is stronger than everybody else's, we maintain peace. As long as we have the most nuclear weapons, we can force the disarmament of our enemies. But that's a podcast for another day. It was believed at the time of Jesus that the Jewish Messiah would come to bring peace. So where does that idea come from? It comes from the writings of Isaiah. So let's go back there. But before I do, let me tell you what's going on historically at the time of Isaiah. During the reign of King Solomon, the nation of Israel experienced peace and prosperity as it had never known. But after Solomon's death, the nation divided into two kingdoms. The the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. The nation of Assyria was threatening all the smaller kingdoms in the region, including Israel and Judah. So Israel made a pact with Syria to protect themselves against Assyria, and they were pressuring Ahaz, who was the king of Judah, to join them in this kind of coalition. But King Ahaz didn't trust Israel or Syria, so they felt completely boxed in. They felt like they were totally alone and had no allies. They felt like even God had abandoned them. It was a time that was filled with anxiety and anything but peace. They were just waiting for the inevitable invasion to happen. And so it's into this context that Isaiah speaks these words. We read these in chapter 7, verse 14. He says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The young woman is pregnant and is about to give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, you know we always read these words as a prophecy about Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's all well and good, but that's not what Isaiah was talking about, at least in his mind. He was talking about a king that would be born like now, like she is pregnant, she is about to give birth to a son, not not some 600 years later. Most theologians believe that Isaiah was actually talking about Hezekiah, who was born to Ahaz and his wife just after this prophecy and then later became king when he was about 25 years old. Now, jump to chapter 9. There's another prophecy that was spoken that we attribute to Jesus. This is very well known. Isaiah 9, verse 6, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Again, Isaiah is most likely speaking about Hezekiah. 
Look at the language. It's all empire language. The government will rest on his shoulders. And the phrase that I mentioned in the intro, the prince of peace, prince is an empire term. What Isaiah is talking about is that Hezekiah will be born and he will rule through power and bring peace to the nation. But the truth is, Hezekiah was a bit of a disappointment in spite of the fact that he was one of the better kings that Judah ever had. He made some good political reforms and some really important religious reforms, but he certainly didn't live up to these lofty words of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. It was when Matthew wrote his gospel and he gives his version of the birth of Jesus, that these words were first attributed to Jesus. He's the one who tells us that these words that everyone thought were about Hezekiah were actually about Jesus. Jesus is the one who will take the government upon his shoulders, who will be the Prince of Peace, who Isaiah was actually talking about. Now, Hang with me here for a minute, but jump ahead to the end of Jesus' ministry. It's just hours before he's arrested and tortured and crucified, and he's giving some final instructions to his disciples. He says this. You can find it in John 14, verse 27. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. The Greek word that is translated peace here is the word irene. It's the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word shalom. And I love that word because it's so incredibly rich and nuanced. It's not just about a lack of conflict or a lack of war. It's about wholeness and prosperity and fulfillment and tranquility and completeness. It's when everything comes together. I use it as a blessing every time I end this podcast. I am wishing for you, hoping for you, praying for you, wholeness and fulfillment and completeness. Jesus says that the shalom that I give is nothing like you thought it was. You've been waiting for the empire to bring shalom, but you've got it all wrong. Peace does not come because a king or a president or a government brings it. Shalom is something Jesus says that I bring to you. There is a peace, a shalom that comes from God that is to be experienced. It goes beyond our understanding. It's something that God does, not something that we can produce for ourselves. It is just a God thing. Many of you have experienced this kind of shalom in the midst of the darkest moments of your life. As you open yourself to God's presence, you will find this rather mystical peace that makes no sense, actually. It is when you can say in the words of that old hymn, it is well with my soul.
Christmas has become a rather strange mix of joy and sadness for Sheila and I. 20 years ago, on the 19th of December, my father passed away. We had his memorial service on the 23rd. I can't believe it's been that long because every year as we enter the season, it comes back to me. Then seven years ago, on the 26th of December, the day after Christmas, we had a little boy in our baby house that passed away. And then last year, on the 21st of December, one of our babies that we loved and cared for passed away after a nine-month battle with TB meningitis. We were shattered. Our daughter-in-law gave us this candle that still sits in our lounge, and it says, Kutle Moya Wami, which is Zulu for, It is well with my soul. The shalom of God shows up when you can face tragedy or pain or loss and look it square in the eyes and say, but it is well with my soul. The shalom of God is not something that comes from the empire. It's something that can only be experienced in the deepest recesses of your soul. But I don't think that's where it all ends. Let me take you to John chapter 20, because this, this story takes place after the resurrection. The disciples were hiding in a room because they were afraid, and Jesus shows up. It says, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said, or shalom, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his sides, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I love that line. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I'm sending you to bring wholeness and completeness and fulfillment and joy to the world in which you live. That is your mission on this earth, to bring my shalom to your world. There's another story in the book of Luke that's worth taking a look at. It's in the midst of the triumphal entry. You remember that? Jesus is on the back of a donkey. People are like laying their coats down and palm branches and they're screaming and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then Luke writes these words, But as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden for your, from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts, and your walls will encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you to the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Jesus knows that destruction is coming, and it did, just a few years later in 70 AD. And he says, you would not understand 
the way to peace. So what is this way to peace that they seem to miss? He doesn't tell us here what he means, but there are plenty of hints that we find in the Gospels. The way of shalom seems to have something to do with the capacity to forgive. It seems to be about a willingness to share generously, to be radically inclusive, and to be attentive to the vulnerable. It seems to have something to do with being humble in the face of exaltation and being last instead of first. It seems to have something to do with denying myself in the interest of my neighbor to love my enemies. When Jesus said in John chapter 20 that there's the shalom that the world doesn't understand, he's saying that the empire can never bring peace because it doesn't have the capacity to bring peace. It doesn't forgive. Its goal is not to share generously or be radically inclusive or to be attentive to the vulnerable. It's not humble in the face of exaltation. It's not interested in being last instead of first. In fact, the empire cries me first. America first, South Africa first, or whatever empire you want to put in there. It seems the empire is the complete opposite of what God's shalom is. So Jesus says, As the Father has sent me to bring shalom into the world, so I am sending you. I am sending you to forgive over and over and over. I'm sending you to be crazy, generous, and radically inclusive. I'm sending you to be the last instead of the first. I'm sending you to deny yourselves in the interest of those around you. I'm sending you to bring shalom to your world, your family, your neighborhood, and yes, even your Facebook feed. Shalom is to be experienced and It's to be shared. For those of you that are in real need of God's shalom this holiday season, I pray that you will experience it in the deepest parts of your soul. And I pray that we all will be shalom in our little corners of the universe. Have a great holiday season. Shalom.